Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of the 75th anniversary season. That's Game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond. From iconic plays in arenas to the impact players have in communities, that's the NBA, that's Game. It's like Game 5 of the NBA Finals where I was lucky enough to be there. Bucks, Suns, in Milwaukee. I'm sitting kitty corner from Giannis Antetokounmpo as he rises up for that incredible alley-oop. Drew Holiday having stolen the ball from Devin Booker on the other side. Found Giannis in transition. Incredible stuff. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game. Welcome to the podcast. I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joe. You're welcome. Is this how we're ending sentences now? Just like kind of a little. I don't know. I'm trying something new. <laughs> I uh, I dropped my kids off at school today, and I'm in how a about good this? Mood. How yeah. about this? Yes, I'm telling you that it was exciting, wasn't it? It was almost I mean, exactly you know. one year from wow. the last time they were on campus. Uh, they're now on campus again, and it it felt very they're they're thrilled. I'm thrilled. My wife is thrilled. Everybody's thrilled. Let's be let's be perfectly honest about this. All right, that's what this podcast is all about. Let's be perfectly per- perfect honest, honesty. Yeah, yeah, right. It's a, in fact that's our slogan: perfect honesty on that's the right. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> You were ready to get your kids the heck out of the house, weren't you? Come on, be perfectly honest. I was ready to get my kids out of the house on the fourth day of quarantine. <laughs> what are you talking about? This doesn't require perfect honesty. Of course I was. And they, by the way, so were they. Like, well, of course that, they're one out. Of course they do. But yeah, but yeah, I, my- I, I just haven't had. Uh, you know, none of us has had a single day of normalcy, no. and not in terms of both like the mental health and emotional health of our kids and the mental and emotional health of ourselves and the rhythm of a day of like wake up, feed the kids, drive them to school, come home, you know, do a little work, whatever. Like that's been absent in all of our lives for a full year. Everybody, I mean, again, I personally have it about as well as anybody could possibly have it and I'm going nuts. So I can't imagine the stress and strain on the on the average human being yeah. uh, in this country or elsewhere. So, yeah, I mean, this is a it's a really big deal uh, to just feel like things are maybe slowly, quietly, cautiously returning to normalcy. Yeah, maybe just a little bit. You know, uh, my oldest daughter, uh, this is her freshman year in college and she is uh, not gone. She is uh, we're. Very hopeful and optimistic that she's going to go to college starting in August, but she has been, uh, you know, working from home uh, and and taking classes online, which is what they're doing at college as well. So she just happens to be doing it from home, right. and um, and she will every so often say, you know, something about what a bad break she's getting and 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 all of this, and and she's right, she's a hundred percent right. She's, I think, you know, as far as timing goes, losing her senior year her prom year and her freshman year in college it's, it's a bad break it really that's is. the worst that's the worst it can be it's, I think. it's the worst yeah. timing right worst timing and i've told her this but 
she'll start going on and on about this. And I'm like, you don't understand. I so want you out of my house. I, I, <laughs> I love you so dearly, but I want you so badly to get out of my house. This is, this, it's time. It's time. It's time for you to be on your own. And it's just time. So, well, so. it was, it was time almost a year ago. That's the thing. It's, yes. it's not just that That's it's right. time. It, it's, it's be, it's an, it's a year beyond time. It's past like these, time. Yes. There's a moment when you're supposed to eat a banana when it's ripened and it's just a little bit soft, but it just hasn't little, turned brown. Right. Just a little soft, but it hasn't turned brown yet or whatever. These bananas are now just <laughs> rotting, festering, uh, disgusting, mushy goops of of grossness. Yes. And so, yeah, it's it's way beyond the time that it that they should have been out of the house or back at school or whatever. Exactly. And yeah. So it's not, this is no this is not a poor reflection on you at all. <laughs> How many days? Is a banana good? Would you say? Oh, that's tough. You know, the, I think that the the problem. I remember seeing like uh, I, there's an entire documentary on the history of the banana, and it's fascinating. And it basically, like in the old days, uh, there were hundreds of varietals of bananas. There I were didn't know this. there were big bananas and small bananas, and and like it, it, all sorts of different tastes. Um, they were, you know, some of them were sweeter, some of them were tangier, whatever. And basically, like bananas, the, the term banana republic is literally because there were uh, basically sort of state sponsored corporate partnerships in the places where bananas are grown that kind of like took everything over. It was like a cartel. Bananas are like a mob run cartel. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, Didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they, they essentially got rid of all of these other more interesting kinds of bananas because the kind that you think of as a banana, the classic large yellow uh, peeled uh, banana, uh, was the sort of hardiest crop. And they so they basically like got rid of all the other kinds. And there's only one, there's, there's a couple rare kinds of bananas now that are grown, but essentially there's only one kind of banana, which is a shame because it is a shame. You, you can imagine it being cool to try different kinds of bananas in the same way that you have different kinds of apples or different kinds of, you know, whatever, any, any kind of fruit. Um, and so I think that the problem is part of the reason why that banana is so dominant, and I'm, I'm doing all this from memory, so I'm sure I'm getting a lot of the details wrong, uh, but it's that it, it has a long shelf life, right? So it can be shipped really far away. And, um, sure. that, so what happens is those bananas, uh, like that, when the peel is like perfectly yellow and, and it looks to your, to your untrained eye, like, ah, there's a, there's a yummy banana. Um, <laughs> that's not when you should eat it. You should actually wait till the peel gets a little softer and even has little flecks of brown. Cause that's when it gets a little tiny bit softer and more oh. yummy and a little riper and so uh, i i think that the the length of time that a banana is good is longer than the average person might think because you think of as soon as the peel starts to freckle or to turn a, uh, to have a little bit of brown in it you think oh this is a bad banana no yeah. no no, that's a good banana that's, a that's good when banana. you should eat it yeah Interesting. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, look, if it's green, if you got the full green, and we're talking about, obviously, this one particular strand of banana, but you have the, the the green, you know, no good. It's just no good. And then it starts turning yellow, and it's, it's good. Mm -hmm. And then, yes, like a little bit after that, for a couple more days, when it starts getting a little brown and all that, still really good. But then when brown starts taking over, it feels like way too mushy at that yeah. point, you know? So yeah, yeah. seems like 
it's a it, it's a it's five days maybe maybe five five yeah good I days. think it's I think it's like five to seven days yeah all right all yeah. right see this is what people come to the podcast for is this kind of good information banana talk that's what <laughs> they come for banana talk it's honesty and banana talk are really the two themes that we that we go with you know what I was thinking about the other day it is a, a while ago uh like uh. We started this podcast in 1968. 68. Uh, that's right. And and we've done more than 10,000 of them. Uh, <laughs> and but at some point in like I think the late 90s or early aughts, we decided that the podcast was going to focus on segments, right? Yes. That's we, right. we we made a big deal about this. We talked about yes. segments and we were going to have and then we had theme songs for each of the segments. There was <laughs> the, the there was a Cleveland Browns talk and there was that's right. uh, there, there was, was the, the Yankee Minute. Yankee Minute, sure. Right. And we've completely abandoned them. We we just absolutely <laughs> threw that out the window. Uh as quickly as we had invented it. It, yes. it was gone. And my question for you it's now uh it's it's March. We're heading into baseball season. Should we should we bring back segments as an operating principle for the podcast? No question about it, because okay. here's the thing. And, and I think I think uh, our listeners can appreciate the 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 hard work and 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 planning that we do for every podcast. Um, the reason we stopped doing segments is because we just forgot. To do That's them. right. It's because we forgot. Yeah, <laughs> it was like, oh, yeah, yeah. We used to do segments. We completely forgot that we I, I actually have uh, our our music director will occasionally send me uh, an email saying, hey, if you guys ever are going to do segments again, you know, I'm happy to to create a few <laughs> for you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, we I forgot we used to do segments. And and uh, and, and then I, when we do the podcast, I completely have forgotten by then at that point. Uh, I have the goldfish memory. So. Um, yeah, segments. Well, but you know, I don't think bananas can be a full segment. Uh, but since the podcast did begin, uh, as, as, as podcast historians will know, uh, with you and me talking about fruit at a, at a ball game at a spring right. training game years ago, we could have a fruit segment. We I'm could saying, just... I, I'm thinking fruit talk is the, is the first segment that we, <laughs> that we, that we do every week. Fruit talk. Just, just what do we got? What, what's new in fruit? What observations, do we <laughs> what observations do we have to make about fruit? Yeah, let's do fruit talk. There's let's our do- there's our fr- okay. So we need it. We need a theme song for fruit talk. We need a theme song for fruit talk. So we'll be doing fruit talk every week. Uh, we'll we'll come up with the segments as we go. This is not a segment, but this is an important uh, element. So uh, you are aware, uh, as as uh, you know, the twelve or fourteen people that listen to this, uh, that last week uh, I had Flula. As as your uh, as your replacement on the podcast, right. your guest replacement, and uh, and you know Flula, you have actually worked briefly with Flula. Flula was uh, was uh, had a, a little a little hit on the Good Place, right? Right, right. Yes, we we had a um, we had a, a role for a waiter, and uh, in a in a scene in the Good Place, um, and Flula is a favorite of Allison Jones, who is our the casting director. I, I believe I've talked about her before. Yeah, um, she's a casting director. She cast every one, every show that you love, every comedy you love, <laughs> and every movie you love that's a comedy. She is the is responsible for it. She cast Freaks and Geeks and Arrested Development and and Curb Your Enthusiasm and Veep and The Office and The Good Place and Parks and Recreation and Brooklyn Nine Nine, uh, and on and on and on. 
and uh, and uh, all of Judd Apatow's movies, she she literally discovered in one. I I when I'm trying to explain how good she is okay. as a um as a casting director, think about this for a second. She cast the show Freaks and Geeks. That means in one show, she found uh, Jason Segel. Um, she found uh, Linda Cardellini. She found Martin Starr. Um, she found Jeez. Seth Rogen. She found uh, James Franco. <laughs> she found like literally like every. Uh, oh, uh, uh, I can't remember even who else is in the show right now because my mind is going blank. But she found all of those people in one just for like one show. And then think about Arrested Development. I mean, obviously, Jason Bateman was a star, but Will Arnett. And David Cross existed in the world, and people <laughs> knew about him. But she put him in that show. Um, I mean, it's it's really shocking. The Office, obviously, Jenna Fisher and John Krasinski and Rain Wilson and Steve Carell. Incredible. And, I mean, yeah, she's she's so she's just an uh, an incredible incredible uh, casting director, and she loves Flula. Just absolutely loves him. He makes her laugh so hard, <laughs> and so she was really pressing us to use him. And kept bringing him up, and we were always like, "Well, there's not weird. Like our world was a little bit weird on the Good Place, right? Everybody was dead, and there right. were very specific stories that had to be told. But then we had this role where they were back on Earth for a second, and uh, and we had this role of like a waiter who was annoying people, and we were like, "Oh, there you go. That's how you, you <laughs> get him in there." Uh, and he was, I mean, he was on screen for thirty seconds, and he he is so funny. He just uh, everything he does is funny. He's so funny yeah I, I just it's it's the podcast was as as it should be uh anytime i'm i'm doing it i didn't say anything i just just let him yeah. go right you just let him his where his mind goes and he the thing that's so fun about him is he knows so much more than he lets on like he's so much smarter than than you think he is because i mean he plays this this character but for instance just in baseball He's just bringing up stuff. He's like, oh, you know, he's making the the whole joke is he doesn't know anything about baseball and talking right. about the pillows and all this. And uh, but then he's suddenly talking about the the Derek Jeter tag play and the and the you know, I mean, it's just it's so crazy. <laughs> yeah, but I but like I that. promised him that when we got together that we would choose a baseball team for him because that is uh, he he wants one very much. He he gave us very specific. Um, uh, instructions on how to do this, uh, which include, uh, I want a stadium that has uh, good snacks or terrible snacks. Those, Great. those are, those are two of his, of his uh, requirements or one of his requirement. Uh, he likes pitchers that have funky deliveries. Uh, he likes goofy mascots and, uh, and he likes fun stadiums. That's, that's, those were, and he doesn't, and he doesn't care. I got the impression. He said he doesn't care if the team is good or bad, but I got the impression he doesn't want a really good team. Like he does not. Okay. He doesn't want to walk in and like with the Dodgers and just be like, okay, yeah, now I'm, now I'm a part of this, uh, a part of this uh, experience. He wants something that he can grow with. So, you know, we did this for Linda. Linda kind of dumped our our decision, which was probably smart on her part. Since yeah, since they since turned out gave, to be scandalous, <laughs> we gave her we gave her the cheating Astros, but. Uh, what do you think? What do you think? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is the Reds because Ooh. the Reds, uh, you know, Cincinnati has very weird food, <laughs> yes, right? Yes. They have chili that's served on spaghetti, which on spaghetti, is very, delicious. very strange. Yes. Um, I'm not sure about their pitching staff and weird windups, but Johnny Cueto, famous yeah. Red, had had a cool 
uh, delivery. The stadium yes. is really nice and yes, relatively right. new. Um, so that um, that was that was what leapt to mind originally. And when Sean I, Doolittle now. With and the, Sean with, Doolittle, yeah, which you, you got to root for Sean Doolittle. Also, Hunter Green right? throws like a thousand miles an hour. That might oh, be something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, I cannot wait. I mean, I don't know. Does he have a funky delivery? Is... I don't think I've ever seen him pitch. But does he have a funky delivery or no? I don't probably, I, probably I, not. It's hard to throw 102 miles an hour and have a funky delivery, right? I mean, that yeah. seems. Uh, yeah, that's fun. That's fun. The other the the name that Brandon McCarthy threw out to us were, was the Brewers, uh, which obviously the Brewers have the fun. Uh, well, there's a little bit of the German thing, uh, sure. you know, and, and they've got the fun races, the, you know, with the, with the sausages, that's fun. And, uh, so they're, they're interesting. I don't, I don't know if that's a, I mean, that feels like almost a stretch to the, just, oh, well, you know, German, German, here we go. We got that match, you know, well, that, it no, but, but the great food in Milwaukee. They have you great know, food in Milwaukee. Great that food is in Milwaukee. True. So like that, that he can eat an enormous Germanic <laughs> bratwurst. <laughs> and and hearing him say Milwaukee will be funny, right? I mean, totally. like that'll be that'll be funny the way. And oh, and and they do the crazy thing where the moose does. Isn't that where the moose jumps and goes down the slide when they hit a home run? <laughs> well, it used to be Bertie Brewer, right? That used to do that. That would go down the slide and now it is it a moose now that does I thought it? I, even... I, I maybe I think that Bertie Brewer is a moose and he's not I thought it was a moose <laughs> but like that that's a mascot that he it checks the mascot box yes yeah, because like, Mr. Red is not at I mean he's funny but funny in the not not necessarily universal way I think it's it's yeah uh, the only th- other thing I'd I'd throw out there maybe is the Padres now now again if he doesn't care about his team being good the fact that they're going to be really good is sort of irrelevant but right. but that stadium is truly oh. gorgeous that oh. is a that is a one of one of the greatest stadiums I've ever oh, yeah. been to yeah it's just yes. truly wonderful I don't know how the food is at San in San Diego it's good I mean it's it's yeah. I mean I, I think it's solid I don't I don't know that they're famous for anything but it's solid the first time I went and and of course then there's the San Diego chicken which I feel like he would he would I don't I know that's not the mascot anymore but I think that he could go into history and sure he could. San Diego sure. chicken I the first time I ever went to um to San Francisco uh, AT&T slash Altel slash Verizon slash whatever the hell stadium <laughs> it is. T-Mobile slash whatever. T-Mobile, yeah. whatever. Um, I had what I think is the best ballpark food I've ever had. Oh, my this is, gosh. This it's is like so long ago now. It's so long ago that I was not a vegetarian. So it's at least a decade ago that I wow. went. And I had they had a, 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 a piece of food there that I don't know if they serve it anymore, but it was an enormous sausage and they basically took a syringe and they filled it with melted cheese and they injected <laughs> the cheese into the middle of the giant sausage. And I I had one in like the third inning and by the seventh inning, I was like, I think I this is crazy, but I have to go get another one. Like I've, ne- which I've never done before. And, and every time I've been in San Francisco, I have thought about that sausage and how good it was. And it, it one of the only things that has tempted me to give up being a vegetarian was that cheese-infused sausage that I ate. I don't even – again, I don't know if they if they even do it anymore. It's been uh, 10 years, but, but man, oh, man, was that a, a delicious piece of ballpark food. 
Yeah, the food in, in San Francisco is is outrageously good, and they have Johnny Cueto, so they do have that. Uh, okay, they do have that that pitching. Uh, but we can't uh, tell him to root for the Giants. That's no. awful. Come on. I mean they <laughs> they won they won three World Series that they had no business winning. Yeah, That's yeah. Not- I, it's funny, you know. I'm doing these letters uh, from spring for the Athletic, where where each day I'm writing a little letter uh, about uh, each team. Uh, and and I just finished the Giants one. I think it's the Giants one might be running tomorrow. Um, we're doing this on Wednesday, and uh, and yeah, I wrote at some length about how ridiculous that Giants team was. They were never the best team ever. No, no. You know, at at any point were they ever the best team? But boy, come playoff time, and so I was even asking you guys if you thought there was something beyond luck that was that was uh, pushing that because I mean, three times in the playoffs yeah. uh, in even years, all three times they win the world series kind of convincingly. The, the last one was the, was the toughest with the, uh, with the Royals and, you know, obviously having, having an unbelievable postseason pitcher in Madison Bumgarner was a huge part of it. I mean, having, having a great bullpen was a big part of it. Having certain guys that just had monster, Postseasons. Remember when when uh, when uh, Panda had a, that incredible postseason? Uh, that had something to do with it. But I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's. I mean, I'm I am someone who believes, as are you, in the numbers and 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 not giving small sample size too much uh, too much credit. But man, I mean, something about that team blew up in October. Yeah, I kind of just. I think it was just like they got hot at the right time. I mean, <laughs> right, it, that that right. was also an era. I mean, the thing about baseball is that that because of the nature of the game, you get these teams like the whatever it was, the 83 and 79 Cardinals that right. just get hot at the right they eke their way into the playoffs and they just get hot at the right time and they steamroll everybody and they get, you know, David Freeze goes crazy. Right. And hits a triple uh, at the right. I mean, the you know they had no business winning that series, and they did. And the Giants just had a had like a a fairly deep team, and they had an otherworldly pitcher at the height of his powers, and, and they, a great bullpen, and I a mean, great bullpen, right. yeah. and they employed them in the right way. They managed them the right way, and and so they sort of maximized their roster. And you know, it's like I'm I you know I'm very deep in the NBA right now. My son yes. and I are 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 rabid NBA fans and I'm watching these, you know, I usually watch since I'm home all the time. I usually watch (laughs) two games a day minimum. Like I watch a 4 PM game and then I'll watch a 7 PM game. And you see these teams like the Lakers, for example, uh, who I hate, but watch because I love LeBron and like, you know, with LeBron and Anthony Davis, they are an unstoppable force. They just uh, forget it. Like just those two together, uh, if they're healthy and then the, you know, the, the guys that they have around them coming off the bench, you know, they bring in, they bring in guys, um, off the bench who are playing 20 minutes a night. And because they're playing 20 minutes a night and they can score 15 points, uh, a game in 20 minutes, like, and then LeBron comes back in the game and it's like, Jesus, we, <laughs> we just got him out of here. <laughs> but Anthony Davis has been hurt recently and he has been playing and they they're like a 500 team. Like they can't yeah. they can't hang yeah. with anybody. They get beaten by Phoenix and they get beaten by, you know, Milwaukee or whatever. And so it's just it it only I only bring this up to make the point that a million people have made before, which is in that sport, one guy makes a big difference. Right. In baseball, one guy doesn't. It's you need multiple guys. And those Giants teams were deep 
they had a bunch of like good play, not amazing, but good players. Right. And so, you know, they lose if other teams um, didn't, you know, play to their best at their best level. They they, you know, the Giants had a fighting chance and it was sort of like three coin flips. That was in those years, and they have, and it came up heads for the Giants every time. So <laughs> every time, yeah. Yeah. So like I, you know, I don't, I don't think I wouldn't read into anything about that history. It other probably than not. That. They were a good probably team, not. good bullpen, great starting pitcher, good manager, got hot at the right time. End of story. As opposed to basketball, where it's but like it, you just have to have all your good guys. Like you see what happens, the ripple effect when you lose one star player in basketball is is so obvious and immediately clear. Um, the Celtics are a 500 team because they lost, you know, first team all NBA defensive guard Marcus Smart for right? uh, for like three weeks, and so he's not playing at all. And Kemba Walker has been hurt and not playing, and Tatum has had COVID and is like is you know 65 percent of what he should be. Right. Um, and in any given moment, like that just means that like any the Wizards can beat them, the Pistons can beat them. Like they there's there's no uh, there's no way to, to guard with a 15 person roster there's just no way to put together a competitive team if you don't have all of your best guys playing no it's really true and there they, actually i want to talk a little bit about the nba because i know you've been so into it and there's one specific story in the nba that that i find fascinating for a little bit for personal reasons but also uh because uh it's a it's an absurd story but before we get to that we do need to talk a little bit about baseball in the sense of that it started and yet uh, I I know of you that this is one of your least favorite times for baseball. Oh, it's the worst. It's the worst. <laughs> this month sucks. When we did the month it draft, sucks. we did when we did the month draft, which is one of my favorite drafts. We the thing we both agreed on was yeah. that March is the worst sports month worst by month. far. Yes. Right? It's got yes. nothing to offer. The only thing it ever had was March Madness, and March Madness ceased to be interesting about 15 years ago. Uh, and yeah. this month is just the worst. And, like, I'm sorry, I cannot get excited about Fernando Tatis Jr. hitting a Grand Slam in a split squad game against the Twins or whatever it was. Like, it just does nothing for me. I can't deal with it. And we're a month away a from month games that matter. Away. It's That's so problem. long. until And you look at these box scores. I'm trying to get excited about it. You look at the box scores and you recognize two people on every team who are playing in these games. And it's just who get one at bat each, by yeah, the way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like just, Garrett uh... Richards started for the Red Sox the other day and got a bad inning. And they used a mercy rule and just got him out of the <laughs> inning. It's just not actually it's nothing. It's nothing. Yeah. I think the problem I have with it is there's that moment when pitchers catchers report early. We've talked about this. Okay, hey, it's kind of exciting. But you know what it is? It's false spring is what it is. Because you might get, it's sort of like the first day of winter where it's like, hey, it's 55 degrees. I mean, you don't know this in LA, but like for the rest of us, it's like, oh, it's 55 degrees today. Oh my gosh, winter is almost over. And it's not. It's nope. not even close to over. And you've got months and you, you'll you think in April it's over and it's not. And then you'll think, oh, it's May. Certainly it'll never be. And you it'll still, you might get another snow. I mean, that's what it feels like. It's like, oh, baseball, it's not even close. We're a month away from the early games. And remember that first couple of weeks is kind of brutal anyway because they don't play every day. And 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 so it's sort of like, oh, are they playing tonight? Are they not? And so we're like, we're like six, seven, eight weeks away before 
we're like really in the baseball season and it's a good analogy. Yeah. Because like growing up in new England, there was always a moment where it'd be like, it's March 22nd. It's the first day of spring and it would be 31 degrees and snowing. And you'd be like, it's not the first day of spring. Like the first day of spring is the first day that it's over 60 degrees or something. Right. And, and so it's just all false hope. It's just all, it's like, it's, it's technically legally yes baseball season has started but it's not it's actually not baseball season <laughs> and the first the i went to the game uh in 2005 i went to ring day at fenway when they when they actually got their rings and so it's early april and this is the a moment that of course we all thought we would never see is the a world series ring presentation at fenway park and I got us, uh, I went with Seth Myers, who at the, I was working with at SNL, who's a big Red Sox fan. And the two of us went with his yep. family and we sat in the, we sat on the monster and it was incredible. It was a, a, a moment I'll remember for the rest of my life. And it was, uh, so cold. I was miserable <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> it was so cold and awful. And the wind was just whipping around. And so here, here's the class. So like, this is the, you know, I, I get that people are annoyed at Red Sox fans, especially now. We won four World Series. Everything's great. But at the time, it was it was truly like we were still, the you know, the miserable sad sack underdogs. And, sure. And they, we had won the World Series for the first time ever. So we go to the game and we're sitting in the monster seats and it's. Uh, they they do the ring presentations. One of the greatest Red Sox Yankees moments of all time because they're playing the Yankees, right? So one of the greatest Red Sox Yankee moments of all time happens, which is because it's uh, the home opener, they do the thing where they introduce all of the players on each team, and they're going down the line and they're introducing all the Yankees. They introduce Mariano Rivera, and the crowd instantly gives him a standing ovation because he had blown the two games. <laughs> right. Technically speaking, had blown the two games in the ALCS. So the crowd leaps to its feet and starts cheering and like like cheering and clapping and and he gets a huge smile on his face and he steps forward out of the line uh, that he's in on, along the baseline and he and he and he takes off his cap <laughs> and he waves his cap to the crowd and it was like they were cheer- the the crowd was cheering for him as loudly as they would have been if it were Ted Williams it was so oh wonderful gosh. and so great so so we see them all get their rings and we see them raise the banner and it's just incredible and then the game starts we are miserably cold we're so 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 cold and like the second or third inning I'm like, I can't stay up here unless I get like, a, I need to buy a, a jacket or something. Right, right. So we leave our seats uh, while the while the Red Sox are hitting and we run down to the, uh, to the souvenir shop and I buy a Red Sox like fleece blanket that I can Ooh. like drape over my lap or something. Right. And while we're in line. I'm I uh, and we're watching the game on the monitors that they have in the in, in at the souvenir stores. And Doug Mirabelli, I believe, comes up <laughs> and absolutely drills a home run to left field. And I am not kidding you. Oh, no. It hit the back of the seat that I had been sitting in. Come on. It literally hit the chair that I had been sitting in and then like bounced harmlessly to a guy sitting nearby. Oh. And it was, and I was like, you know what? This is absolutely perfect. Like, there's no way that you can get through a day of of nothing but happiness as a Red Sox fan. At that moment, at least, there was there, I was not going to go for a full day without without having one little tiny twist of the knife to make my uh, make my sports fandom just a little bit more irritating. Did people say something to you when you got back? Like, oh man. 
Yes. Bad time, pal. Guy guy sitting uh, right behind me said, hey, did you see it? And I was like, yeah, man, I saw it. (laughs) Would you have caught it? I think I would have I would have tried. I mean, you it, tried. it would have hit me in the chest. It literally would have hit me in the chest. And so I, I don't think I would have had a choice. Would I have <laughs> caught it and hung on to it? I don't know. Uh, or I would it have would've. broken my finger? It maybe would have or would it have killed me? It's possible it would have killed. <laughs> it would have hit my sternum and driven one of my ribs right into my heart and I could be dead. See, I've always wondered about this. When you're on top of the monster and somebody hits a ball, a ball up there, and obviously you can hit it on a especially Doug Mirabelli yanks, you know, some ball down that, down, down that line. I mean, that thing is, is going to have some serious force, but it doesn't have gravity, right? It, Cause you're catching it on the high end, right. Of, of this whole thing. Well, this so, was a, like a line. This was like a yeah. really hard hit line drive. Oh so, yeah. Yeah. You I wouldn't mean, have even had time to get out of the way. No, it, it was, it would have been like, it, it was like a, a freight train coming right at me. I mean, <laughs> I, I, whether I would have caught it or not, I don't know. But the only thing I have to compare it to is a different game. I was at Fenway with my dad many, many, many years earlier we were right down by the right field foul pole in just in foul territory. And they were playing the, the um, Blue Jays. And Carlos Delgado hit a 250-mile-an-hour line drive that was hooking foul. <laughs> and oh, I, reached, I reached my hand out, and it, hit my, it actually hit my hand. Like, I got oh. my hand on it. And, it, and it, um, I don't know if it broke a bone, but it, it hurt. It still hurts, it doesn't hurt. it? It still hurts. And then <laughs> when the, it and rains. It, it hit my hand and basically popped up at, you know, it went from 120 miles an hour to three and a half miles an hour. By pop, it popped up in the air, and then the guy, like, a couple of seats behind me caught it. And I think about it all. How it was old my own, were you at this time? I was 20-something, 20, 20, you know, 25. I don't know. I was some, wow. I don't, It was probably, you know, it was whenever Delgado was at the height of his power. Okay. Uh, so it's the, and that's the only time I've ever actually gotten my hand on a on a ball, and it was a it was a it was a wicked Car- Carlos Delgado pulled line <laughs> drive into the corner. Have you ever touched yeah, a ball I, in in flight? Well, I have, uh, but but it's not it it almost doesn't count because uh, I was in the press box, and uh, and yeah. we had the windows open, and somebody hit a foul ball back into us, uh, and it was right at me. Uh, and, uh, and I did get a hand, I did not catch it. Uh, I did get a hand on it and somebody else, one of the other reporters like raced over and picked it up, which is really silly and funny. If you think about it, you know, this group of reporters in there and, and somebody's racing to get the ball. And I kind of thought like, well, that guy's going to give me the ball. Cause I got hit by that ball yeah. and I wasn't going to keep it. I was just going to give it to a kid. That's what I love doing. I, I, there, that's happened a couple of times. I didn't catch him, but like balls would go in the press box and I'd be like, Hey man, give that to me. I'd like to give that to a kid. Um, but, uh, he didn't, he just totally took the ball and slipped it in his little briefcase. And like, <laughs> it was, it was really funny cause he tried to do it slyly. And I was like, wow, you, you're really going to keep that ball, huh? So that's, uh, so that's how that goes. But my moment like that was in 1993. So they're going way back. Uh, I was a columnist in Cincinnati at the Cincinnati Post. And for whatever reason, I had decided that day I was going to do a story on home runs that had been hit into the red seats uh, up in the upper deck. Because there had only been, there had not been one in years and years. And and it had happened, like Tony Perez hit one. And like it, it had happened three or four times maybe. But it had not happened in years. And I just wanted to say something about 
about that. So I actually, they were they, the red seats were closed off be, at the time because they weren't getting enough fans uh, to, to go. Maybe it was 94, might have been the strike year. Um, and so anyway, I went up into the, into the red seats and was just going to sit there. And I was all alone. It was literally nobody around anywhere because because you weren't allowed up there. But I had my credential and I had gotten permission to do it. So I was sitting up there and a security guard comes over to me and says, hey, you can't be up here. And I said, no, no, I've, I've cleared it with the I'm wearing my stupid press badge. I mean, what, what do you mean? He's like, you can't be up here. And I said, no, no, I cleared it with with the management and they said it's fine. They don't care. And he's like, no, no, nobody told me you can't be up here. Ugh. And I'm like, really? I mean, uh, there's nobody here. I'm a reporter. Like, well, why do you care? And he's like, nope, can't be up here. So I left and went to the press box and was just going to go and say, hey, listen, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't care. But I mean, it's I, I, I asked you guys permission. So I was going looking for somebody. I couldn't find him. I went to the press box. Reggie Sanders hit a home run off the seat I was sitting uh, in, the, in the red seats, uh, literally off the seat. <laughs> the first red seat home run in years uh, that night. So yeah, that that's my that's my moment. That's my uh, that's Man, my moment. that's All lame. Right, so it is lame, but you know what's here's the thing: we have to talk about old baseball because I don't think that there's new baseball to talk about. I just don't. You know, it's too. It feels too early to start predicting stuff and what are we excited about and, and all that feels too early. So I'm going to focus on the NBA because I, like I say, I have a question for you and you have become. All right. So wait, you, wait, hold on. Now hold on. Okay. Is this a new segment and what should we call it? Is this, Oh, by the way, that should be a segment right there. The segment is baseball memory. Uh, <laughs> stupid baseball memory. Stupid, I don't know. Uh, what, 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 uh, yeah. Point pointless baseball memories. <laughs> Pointless, pointless baseball memory. So, so for those of you keeping up and and to our music director, we've got the uh, the moment of fruit and and the and the pointless baseball uh, memory. Pointless, and, and, now, now, and now we're doing what around the NBA? What do we call this? Yeah, uh, I think I think NBA, this is sort of NBA check in. This NBA check in. <laughs> this is our NBA check in segment, <laughs> which is which is very which is very good. And the NBA check in segment, my NBA check in segment. You are sort of. We, we, I'm not going to say we reverse roles because I, I don't think we have roles in this thing, but you are at the heart of this because you are, you have become a truly monster NBA fan, yeah. which is really, really cool. So my question for you is my, it's not even a question. It's more of like, I would like you to discuss. I want you to discuss the Utah jazz. And here's why. First of all, the jazz are really good. They, they actually have the best record in the West. Obviously that's with injuries and uh, and everything else affecting the Lakers and, and other teams. But regardless, here's my thing about the Utah Jazz. First of all, they're really fun. I think they're really fun to watch. Uh, that's first of all. But the second thing is they are coached by Quinn Snyder. Now, yeah. I go back many, many years with Quinn Snyder because uh, Quinn Snyder was the coach at the University of Missouri when I was a columnist of the Kansas City Star. Uh, and I was there when he got hired. Quinn and I are almost exactly the same age. Hmm. Uh, he is just a couple of months older than I am. And, you know, we really had, uh, we we hit it off. Uh, I liked him. He's he's kind of an interesting dude. But I I can't say I ever thought he had it together at all. You, you know, he actually had some some pretty severe issues there when he was at the University of Missouri that, that there don't need to be gone into. But I, I never thought, like, this was a guy that I was like, this guy. He, look, he's 
he, he went to Duke. He was a good player. He's obviously super smart. I, I, I'm not in any way taking anything away. He just seemed like kind of a schmo to me. There, there was just, you know, this, this very handsome, smart schmo, which is, which is a, a unique character and something that, that I, I found very fascinating. And so, you know, he, he bombs out with, with the, with the Missouri and then, he kind of kicks around and I see him again when he goes and coaches in some sort of minor league basketball situation, which felt like the absolute dregs, right? It felt like he had, he had gone to the bottom and, you know, and I, and I liked him and I kind of felt for him. I'm like, man, this, how do you ever recover from this? That guy has been coaching now for Utah for like years. Like he's been the, 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 the jazz coach and he's, He's like really good at this. He's, it turns out he's like a really good coach. And now they might, they're, they're, they're the best team in the, in the West right now. This is, this is baffling to me. Is Quinn Snyder a good coach? Well, this goes to the heart of like the unanswerable question (laughs) of what a good NBA coach actually is. Right. Because the game is it, it somewhat like soccer the majority of the game is sort of free flowing action right. where right. the players are, are it's sort of up to them, you know, to, to a little bit to figure sure. out how to run their offense. And, and so, you know, NBA coaches exert their greatest influence over the game at calling plays out of timeouts or calling, you know, it's like calling, like calling set pieces in soccer basically is like, you know, you've analyzed the defense. You need to get, Donovan Mitchell, the ball for like a game tying three. So you say, okay, you know, Rudy Gobert, you stand here and Mike Conley, you come this way and draw this defender away. And Mitchell will come around Clarkson and get the ball at the top of the key or whatever. Other than that, it it appears to me at least that, you know, the players that like point guards or LeBron types are the ones who are actually kind of coaching the team moment to moment. There was that moment uh, when, when Harden, went to the nets there was the i think it was Kyrie gave a press conference where he was saying like or maybe it was just when when um uh when uh um uh, uh what's his name <laughs> durant durant i kept thinking garnett like <laughs> it's not garnett didn't go to the nets when Durant went to the Nets, I think Kyrie was like, they were asking him about Steve Nash, and he was like, eh, Nash will just do whatever. Like, we'll coach the team. Like, nah, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he's right, a first-year right. coach. It doesn't matter. Like, it's it's me and Kevin Durant. Like, we'll be fine. And the uh, and a perfect example of this to me is this year's Phoenix Suns, which, which was like, you know, they played really, really well in the bubble last year, and people were right. like, that's an interesting team. Like, you know, there's DeAndre Ayton, and they've got Chris Paul, and there's like a, and there, there's like a, you know, they're like an up and coming team. They're like the second team in the West this year in the dominant I West. Know. And, and I think a hundred years ago when we started this back in the late sixties, uh, you, you, in one of our first podcasts, I think you talked about what a huge basketball crush you had on Chris Paul. Yes. And I think the truth is, is that Chris Paul is the best coach in the NBA. <laughs> like yeah. you, when you hear other players in the NBA talk about Chris Paul, they all say like, man, that guy just like sees everything. Like he just right. understands what is happening at such a fundamental level that he is, he is actively and, and 
excellently coaching the team when they're out there. And I feel like a li- what you have a little bit with the Jazz is a bunch of really smart players who are just really, really good at in-game like in game flow management. Like I think Donovan Mitchell is kind of a genius. I think Gobert is just this kind of unmovable force in the middle. Then you have all of these guys like Mike Conley is on that team. Mike Conley has been around for a long time and he's really good. Like he's a really, really good player. And Clarkson comes off the bench and Bogdanovich was a huge pickup for them. Like, all of these, all and Joe Ingles is like a essentially like a he looks like a geometry teacher. He looks like a high school geometry teacher. Um, but I but like they're just really really smart guys who understand their offense really well. Now, very often teams like that kind of do really well in the regular season, and then they get to the playoffs and they face a team that just has like bigger stars and and bigger superstars. Like if the would you feel good? about the Jazz playing a healthy Lakers team in the playoffs. No, no I don't think you would. No. You would say, like, look, at some level, if LeBron and AD are healthy, that team wins that matchup. But in over the course of the regular season, with a, with with this roster, with the, all of these guys, with the depth that they have, um, with, like, Derek Favors as, a, as like, a bench player, um, who is not like he's not dominant, but like he's really good. He's like yeah, a strong really good for an eighth a, or ninth guy. Yeah, like exactly. So I, I think I think that's what you have with them, and I think that's what you have with the Suns too. Quinn Snyder is he a good coach? I have no idea. All I know about Quinn Snyder is that t- every time I see him, I think that is the grown up version of a bad guy in a John Hughes movie from the eighties. <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> he's right. like it's a character that James Spader played in a John Hughes movie who is now in his like late forties and still handsome, still good looking guy. But he just has this sense of like, that guy's up to no good. <laughs> he just looks like he's up to no good to me. Uh so I don't know. I, I I just know that the 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 West is so good that there's no way that the that he could be a bad coach and have right. the team playing that well because you know, the Grizzlies currently are not in, I know the the playoffs are expanded this year, but in a normal year, the Grizzlies right now would be out of a playoff spot in the West. And yet, if they were in the East, they would have home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs. <laughs> right. Like, that's how right. good. The Mavericks are not in the playoffs. The Pelicans are not in the playoffs. Like, yeah. Sacramento, which has been terrible recently, they're, they're like one and nine in their last 10. But they had a run in the middle where they were really good. The Rockets can beat anybody on any given night. The only actually bad team, truly bad team in the West is the Timberwolves, um, who are who are a disaster. Um, but it shouldn't be. I I mean that that's that team has no excuse in my book. No yeah. Excuse. Well, they're I mean, with, one of their excuses the, is that Towns missed uh, the first thirty games. Yeah, of the yeah. Year no for excuse. COVID. That, yeah. But that's an excuse this year. I'm talking about that team has no excuse for not having at some point started making the upward track i mean yeah. that's they have the number one pick two years in a row well and, they're gonna have I mean, it they're gonna have it three years in a row three so years maybe. in a row i mean <laughs> but they you know the i the, mean come on yeah i i think that um i think that the, there are so many juicy storylines in the nba this year the jazz and the suns are two of them the san antonio spurs are another one name do me a favor right now name two san antonio spurs okay well i i can do this tim duncan 
<laughs> and uh, <laughs> is Tony Parker still on the team? <laughs> Tony Parker. Like, um, the San Antonio yeah. Spurs have no one that, except for Demar Derozan. Like who, right. if you remember that he is on the Spurs, you're like, oh, Demar Derozan <laughs> is on the Spurs. But they that team. This is this is how you really know that Greg Popovich is an incredible coach, right? right. Is like they have that that team has Demar Derozan who scores twenty a game. And then they have DeJounte Murray, who's who's good. They have yeah. LaMarcus Aldridge, who's okay. Ancient. And ancient and okay and only <laughs> right. takes 18-foot fallaway jumpers, which is like a kind of <laughs> shot that no one takes anymore. They have Patty Mills is still kicking around. Rudy Gay is still on the team. Wow. They have Jacob Poodle. Poodle is a like a seven-foot-tall center who mostly takes three-pointers. It's the weird... It's... <laughs> It is it is the weirdest uh, possible uh, constru- roster construction, uh, and yet they're eighteen and thirteen and would like be in third place in the East. Like it, it, it is that's how. So like when it comes to um, when it comes to like you know is this person a good coach or a bad coach? I think the only things that you can really tell definitively are that Greg Popovich is a great coach, that Steve Kerr is a great coach, yeah, and after that it's like. Who knows? Uh, I, there's there's no there's no telling if anybody else is a good coach or not. Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of its 75th anniversary season. That's game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond, from iconic plays and arenas to the impact players have in the community. That's the NBA. That's game. Like in the NBA Finals when the Bucks had their backs against the wall. Drew Holiday steals the ball, pushes the break. Alley hooped to Giannis for an iconic slam. Seals game five and the eventual title. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game. Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of the 75th anniversary season. That's game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond. From iconic plays in arenas to the impact players have in communities, that's the NBA, that's game. It's like game five of the NBA Finals where I was lucky enough to be there. Bucks Suns in Milwaukee. I'm sitting kitty corner from Giannis Antetokounmpo as he rises up for that incredible alley-oop. Drew Holiday having stolen the ball from Devin Booker on the other side, found Giannis in transition. Incredible stuff. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game. Okay, there's two other very quick NBA points I want to make. One is, uh, and I know this has been a a particular uh, love uh, story of yours, is there Zion is he's an absurdity. He's an absolute absurdity. I'm obsessed with him. I'm, obs- yes, I'm I obsessed with him in a way that I've been obsessed with few a- athletes in the world. By the way, I said Jacob put him mostly takes three pointers, but apparently he doesn't take very many three pointers at all. So I take that back. Uh, <laughs> I guess I saw him. I saw him take a three pointer uh, at some point in my life and was like, that guy's taking three pointers. So igno- forget that I said that. Um, no, Zion. The thing that I'm obsessed with the most in the league right now is Zion Williamson shot charts. The, yes. It is. It is truly fascinating. His shot charts in a, in a given game 
will not only be all in the paint, they will literally be inside. <laughs> There's the, like the, one dot. Yeah, it's one, it's a single <laughs> dot. It is nothing but he go, he goes to the rim. He's not. By the way, he's not Shaq. Like Shaq was seven feet seven tall and weighed four hundred pounds. Or what a, yeah, 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 and right. weighed four hundred pounds. Zion is not that guy. Zion is what is he six seven maybe six seven yeah. He's I mean six, he weighs four hundred pounds, but yes, he's six seven. But he's six seven, and yet somehow or another he gets to the rim every single time and <laughs> lays the ball in or dunks it. It is it is incredible. And then he'll take like one three pointer just to show off a little bit, right? And usually right. miss it. But uh, his shot charts are are a thing of absolute beauty. It is truly shocking he'll be like 12 for 16 and he will not have taken a shot that is more than three (laughs) feet away from the rim it's amazing what 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 blows my mind about him is so you the guy is just such an absurd force underneath he's not a dominant rebounder you know i mean it's like it's i mean he's he's fine but i mean he's not he's not a guy that's that's putting up 15, 16 boards a night or whatever. No. I mean, he's, he's, it's like he has this one particular skill that he can do with his body, which is you cannot keep him away from the rim. And he's so explosive around the rim. He's going to score every time shoot, you know, 80%. It's, he is, it's, it truly is fun. It truly is fun. Cause he's, yeah. he's so, he's so different. He's again, he's, he's so he's different. The, I, you cannot, fathom that a person of that size could be that agile that's really what it comes down to is it's yeah. just it's incomprehensible that someone can can be could have the agility that he has with the body shape that he has it, i someone <laughs> said recently he's he's charles barkley but i don't i think that's even selling him short cuz barkley barkley's thing was he's not the tallest guy in the court but he's an incredible rebounder yes, like you said right. like I mean, let's see. Zion is averaging seven seven plus rebounds a game, right, which is pretty right. good for a power forward or whatever. But you know, James Harden is also is averaging probably eight <laughs> or nine rebounds a game. Or so like that. That's really the the thing about him is is how he can create his own shots at the rim in the like going up against guys who are five, six, seven inches taller than he is. It is. It's just. I, I've it's never a, seen unbelievable. I've never seen every anybody. This is this is the thing that blows my mind with him. I've never seen anybody who jumps up as fast as he does. Yeah. You know, everybody talks about like like uh, hang time and this kind of thing or whatever. The propulsion for him is like absurd. It's like to, they jump at the same time and he just jumps up faster yeah. than the other. He's on a trampoline. He has trampoline <laughs> shoes. That I saw a stat the other night. I was watching the game, and he's he's on pace to be one of like five guys in the history of the league who have averaged twenty five points a game with higher than sixty percent field goal percentage. Wow! It's like Wilt Chamberlain and Kevin McHale <laughs> did it one year, and it's guys like that, and like they're all you know they're all like low post they're players. Huge, they're right, all huge right. six uh, six ten six eleven seven 11. feet. Right. Uh, the other guy that you should watch in terms of jumping jumping ability is Rob Williams, uh, who plays for the Celtics. He's their backup center, but is making a strong play to be a starter. Um, his, he has by far the coolest nickname in the NBA, which is Time Lord, which is an incredible <laughs> nickname. He was given that nickname because he was late to his very first meeting <laughs> as, a, as a member of the team. And, uh, and so they, call, they started calling him Time Lord. 
but he but it also it makes sense because it's like he stops time when he when he jumps uh it's like he's he pauses everybody else and then he jumps up and is just higher <laughs> than everyone he there have been he they, they play a, a a a pick and roll game with him uh and peyton pritchard who's their rookie point guard um they play it all the time when whenever the two of them are on the court and it works 95 percent of the time and there have wow. been a couple times he has like a seven and a half foot wingspan and there have been times when um the the lob is like way behind him like it's a slightly <laughs> errant lob and somehow he's plastic man he like re- he jumps 14 feet in the air reaches backwards <laughs> 11 feet grabs the ball and just throws it in it is it's truly amazing go look at some rob williams um uh, highlights on on youtube or something because the the at level of athleticism that these guys are are displaying is it it's somehow this is what's fun about the nba is you know we talk sometimes about baseball and how the evolution of baseball has suppressed fun right the shift yeah. and right. the and the the three true outcome kind of game that we're playing now is like it's it's less fun there's less action there's less stuff happening basketball is the opposite like all of the evolutions in basketball have led to like crazy shootouts yeah. and wild like guys seven footers who can hit three pointers and and this and these these just in just otherworldly athletes who can do things that you've never that you didn't think were possible by human beings uh and zion and rob williams are two very good examples of that i'm a big fan of looking at rob williams's uh, stats and seeing that uh, and of course the shot uh, numbers have gone up every year yeah but that in his three years, he his field goal percentages are seventy one percent, seventy three percent, seventy two percent. Yeah, yes, he's not. He's he. I've seen him take a jump shot once in all of the Celtics games I've seen. He took like a twelve footer from just inside the free throw line, and did other than it? that, it's yeah, he did make it. Yeah, um, but other than that, it's just it's it's Ali. He's sort of like in the DeAndre Jordan mold, yeah. right? It's like yeah. he's he's not going to shoot the ball unless he is throwing it with great force through the rim with both of his hands. <laughs> Last thing I want to say on our NBA roundup, our NBA check-in. Yeah. Uh, let's take a moment to appreciate the absurdity that is Steph Curry. Can we oh. do that? Can, can oh. we do that? My gosh. I, I mean, I love him so much. I really, I, <laughs> how can you not? I love him at a very deep and emotional level that feels like the kind of love you have for like your, uh, you're like your best friend in elementary school. Like if you're, if Steph, I feel about Steph Curry, like he was my best friend in elementary school and now I'm watching him like blossom into this uh, or continue to continue to blossom, I guess. Continue to blossom. Yeah, but, exactly. But this is what's wild, right? This is a perfect example of what we were talking about is, you know, again, that, that team was supposed to be Curry, Durant and Clay Thompson. And right. And for for years, and then Durant leaves, and then Thompson has this incredibly unlucky injury run where oh, he just terrible. as he's back from a one calamitous injury, he has another one. And yet, Steph Curry is so good <laughs> that he has his team in contention essentially all by himself. Now Draymond I, is Draymond is back, and that that's a huge deal because that guy is a basketball genius and sure. does incredible things. And this and the kid Wiseman that they picked up seems like he's a future star at center and. And they've Steve Kerr has managed somehow or another to make Andrew Wiggins into like a decent player, which or, is crazy. Which is, which is crazy. and Kelly Oubre Jr. By the way, who who like they had been given up on too, but like again, it's Eric Pascal and Kent Bazemore and and 
and Brad Wanamaker, the you know cast off reserve <laughs> point guard from the Celtics, and yet just through sheer incredible genius, Steph Curry, who's averaging thirty a game, has has them in the playoffs, but by himself, like it, it's himself. just and but it's it. This is a perfect example. Again, it's like with Curry by himself. They're the eighth seed. If they had Clay Thompson, they'd be the four seed. If they had Thompson right. and Durant, they'd be the one seed. Like it's they'd be one seed. every right. every superstar gets you like four places higher in the playoff ranking, basically. Yeah, that was really crazy. But I but it's with him. It's it's so. I mean, he's he's not a kid anymore. I mean, he's no. thirty two years old, and 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 you know you would figure certain things are. Uh, you know he's not as good at certain things. I mean he's not even this year shooting as high a few, uh, three point percentage as, as he has in the past. Um, and it doesn't matter. I mean no. the guy just finds ways. He's a great passer. He's a great. I just I love that guy so much. Uh, Did I you just, see the thing on on, uh, on the ESPN homepage recently about they they tracked? It was from a while ago, but they re-upped it. Of like they tracked one play of his and how far he ran. What without oh the ball? Gosh. He ran like yeah. two hundred and sixty feet or something on one possession, one half court possession before hitting a three. Like he just never stops moving. It's like well, it's it's incredible. I mean, and I've been watching that that element of his game. I can going back to Davidson when he was at Davidson because my thought always was you have one goal as a defender. It certainly it was true against Davidson. Now it's true, I think, for this Golden State team. Don't let Steph Curry get an open shot, right? That's that's your literally your goal. So you have here in the NBA, you have five of the greatest athletes on earth whose single job is to prevent this what, six foot two? Guy, six foot three. A guy who, guy who from, a guy who literally cannot dunk. He's he cannot, cannot dunk. dunk. That's how short he is, and and how limited he is in his explosive jumping ability. He's the opposite. All of Zion. your your only job is to stop that guy from getting an open look, and and he can't do it. And it's because of his constant movement. It's because he doesn't have to need. He doesn't really need an open look. He just needs you know a tenth of a second of, of freedom or whatever. But. What a force. What a, what a just, he's now true all time. He's now something like 300 three pointers shy of Ray Allen's all time mark. Oh yeah. And he's done it in like eight fewer years or something. I mean, (laughs) it's like (laughs) he'll pass him next year and like, and, and it will have been, you know, in like two thirds of the games or not even, I mean, the crazy thing is that Harden is right behind him. Harden's like fifth all time. And, and like Harden in, you know, depending on who just, who lasts longer or whatever, you know, one of the, it's sort of like passing yards with NFL quarterbacks is like Brady will probably retire with the record. And then like Matt Stafford will pass him like four (laughs) years later. And then Kyler Murray will pass both of them in 10 years. Like it, it's, but, but it is truly amazing to see how, um, that, that he's about to pass Ray Allen and he's only, he's still what 30, he's 31, 32. 32. 32 okay, 32. so he's 32, and Ray Allen played until he was almost 40, I think. So yeah, it's- well, and but it's so funny how differently he does it because obviously uh, the way that James Harden does it, Harden is much, you know, he's much bigger uh, than than he is. But Harden just stands there until you get bored, and then he shoots. Right? <laughs> like, 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 okay. Like last thing. This is truly the last thing in the NBA roundup, <laughs> and then we'll move on. But no one has hated James Harden as much as I have. You hate uh, him. I yes. really have. I really don't like him. 
I, I don't, I, I was on board that train that was like, this guy's not fun to watch. He just gets the ball. He dribbles through his legs a hundred thousand times, steps back and hits a three pointer <laughs> or, or does that rip through thing where he gets fouled. Or gets fouled. Right. Right. On this team, on this Brooklyn Nets team, he is a true joy to watch an absolute <laughs> joy because he is playing with Kyrie and Durant and his whole thing now is I am a point guard and yeah. he is, he leads the league in assists. He gets like 15 assists a night. He's become Steve Nash. And, yeah. and it's, and I'm like, I suddenly find myself really liking James Harden. It's I, insane. I, you know me, you know me, man. I've always liked him. I've always thought, look, the guy didn't invent the rules. He's just playing by him. And He's a basketball genius. He is he's a just, true he, genius. He really is. He's a I got true I genius. have to give it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He just does whatever he wants. And and I, you know, before it was like, God, this is so boring. He didn't care. What did he care if it was boring, you know? Yeah. And you're right. He just totally changed his game. He's like, all right, now I've got Irving and Durant. And, you know, of course, he's still getting his. It's not like he's not, he's still averaging 25 a game or whatever. But yeah, I'm telling you, I've always loved him because. I think people like it, it's it's been such a cottage industry to hate him, uh, and I'm just like, okay, I get it, but man, this guy, he's another level. He's just another. He's level. He's averaging eleven point three assists a game. I mean, that's that's <laughs> crazy. I mean, to be fair to him, this would be this will be the fourth year he has averaged over ten assists a game. I know. Like he he is he is he, his reputation as being a shoot only guy is not is not really fair like he no he, he he's always it's usually been, yeah it's usually it's driving dish right it's yeah just a driving dish kind of thing that he that he does um but he is the guy who could average a triple double over a season yeah i mean you know? except yeah and in a way that's that's more helpful to his team you might say than than when Westbrook did it Right, yeah. right, exactly, yeah. exactly. More like an Oscar Robertson kind of kind of way to do Well, it. I think this has been a really successful NBA roundup. <laughs> it's our best so far. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think there's any question. I hope that the music that uh, that we do for the NBA roundup will live up to the to the quality of this NBA roundup. Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live. Another that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friend's login <laughs> for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle, and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before, so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. Yes, no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with Direct TV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. This episode is brought to you by BetMGM. Sign up today with BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner of The Athletic, and get a $1,000 risk-free first bet. Plus, get a free three-month subscription to The Athletic. Just sign up at BetMGM.com slash TheAthleticPod, that's P-O-D, to take advantage of this special offer from the kings of sportsbooks. That's BetMGM.com slash TheAthleticPod, P-O-D. New customer offer, paid in bonus dollars. Visit betmgm.com for terms and conditions. Cue the disclaimer. 
Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia only. Excludes Michigan disassociated persons. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, Nevada, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. And 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. In Tennessee, call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. All right, it's time for one. Uh, it's not time for one last minute thing. We got to do our draft. We are having an exciting draft uh, this year, this week, where we are drafting American Rivers. Mm-hmm. Right, this is what we are drafting: American Rivers. All right, and this was this was my idea. So I will I will start off. I will take the first pick. Um, which, of course, I look. If we're drafting American Rivers. Obviously, I'm taking the mighty Mississippi. I, I don't I don't see how you can take an American River first. And have it not be the mighty Mississippi uh, splits the country. It's 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 the only river that gets into sort of daily conversation, whether you're east or west of it. Uh, Mark Twain, Mississippi, uh, Lewis and Clark, Mississippi. Uh, it's the Mississippi River. Nothing more needs to be said. He's the clear number one overall choice. Yeah, I think I kind of think you blew it a little bit. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. Obviously, yes, it's the most famous river. It's not the longest river, interesting. The, the Missouri is a, a longer river That's right. than the Mississippi. But every time I think of the Mississippi, you think of the first thing you think of is I think of as a, a, a pretty un uh, uh, appealing history of of slave of the slave trade. And so I just yeah. can't I yeah. can't quite get behind yeah. it. You know, well, what that's I mean? almost anything in America, though. Right. I yeah. Mean, fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes, it's as as the essentially the original sin of the nation. It is it's <laughs> right, bound to it's right. bound to keep popping up. Um, but I mean, I, I do get it. it. It is the most famous river. It's been referenced in the most songs, and you know Huck Finn and all that stuff. Again, sure. referencing slavery. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I can't quite get behind it. With my first pick, I'm picking the Colorado because Ooh. so the Colorado has many uh, for many reasons. First of all, I live in in Southern California, a lot of our water comes from the Colorado River. Yeah. Um, that's one thing. The second thing is it runs through the Grand Canyon. I mean, there's no part of the Mississippi River in my mind, except for maybe the mouth of the river down there in uh, in the south in New Orleans, that that is as iconic as the shots of the Colorado winding mm-hmm. through the Grand Canyon. It's the most beautiful. Mm-hmm. It has slowed considerably over the years thanks to climate change and and a and a and just a general drought in the west and so it's not the it's not as roaring as it as it should be uh as it by all rights uh needs to be but the colorado to me the iconic shots of the colorado are the most beautiful and iconic shots of any river in the country Ooh, that's fair look that's fair The, the colorado river is beautiful uh it doesn't really roar i mean that is that is uh you know, I mean, it, it, let's face it, at the combine, disappointing number. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> just, just, that's that's all I'm saying about the Colorado. But look, excellent, excellent choice, excellent American River. Um, with my second choice, I'm going to go. I'm going to go off the board here, um, and I'm going to take the Snake River as my as my second choice for two reasons. One is uh, if you have ever seen. The Snake River, the photos of the Snake River, look it up on, on uh, uh, you know, uh, look it up. I don't need to tell you how to look it up. Uh, <laughs> gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Snakes, especially that part where it's it's almost a circle. It's almost like a U. 
just absolutely gorgeous right in the Snake River Canyon. Uh, absolutely gorgeous. And then the second thing, this will only mean something to me uh, and people of my age bracket, uh, but Snake River uh, and the Snake River Canyon is famously where Evil Knievel uh, tried his jump, his famous uh, uh, jump. He was going to jump the Snake River Canyon. Everything about Evil Knievel's jump of the Snake River Canyon is wonderful in my memory. Uh, I was a big Evil Knievel fan as a, whatever I was, six years old, seven years old. Um, and we heard he was going to jump a whole canyon, which was cool. And then he showed up and it was like, well, wait, because he jumped everything with motorcycles. Like that was the whole point of Evil Knievel was that he jumped like 20 buses on a motorcycle. Suddenly he's not on a motorcycle. He's like in some sort of weird spacecraft that, that they had invented <laughs> just for this moment. And then the, the, it didn't even work. And the iconic shot is of, of the, the, the poor, poor spacecraft with like a tiny little like Bugs Bunny like uh, uh, parachute and him just falling into the canyon with this little parachute barely slowing him down and almost dying as as he often did uh and it being <laughs> one of the true disasters in the history of 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 uh of sports uh so i will always love the snake river and the snake river canyon that's that's fair also snake river is just an, an objectively cool name for a river it's a cool name yeah it's a very cool name yes uh all right i'm gonna pick the hudson for my second Ooh, pick. I had the Hudson on my board. The drive the drive up the Hudson from Lower Manhattan all the way into the Hudson River Valley is truly gorgeous. It's a gorgeous, yes. it's a gorgeous vista, a gorgeous drive. The the Hudson also contains a lot of great, like the George Washington Bridge goes over the Hudson. That's right. Uh, the if you if you live in Manhattan, the walk along the Hudson on the west side of Manhattan is is uh stunningly beautiful. It's where Sully landed his plane. That's it has a it has a, an entire school of painting called the Hudson River School that was like uh, sometime in like they think the 19th century, uh, and uh, that that is just a uh, you know a gorgeous sort of northeastern American landscapes. It has a lot of Revolutionary War history. It's just like a lot of just because of its location, running you know it runs basically from up in Albany or even further up. Uh, along the, the western edge of Vermont, all the way down, and then ends up. It sort of empties out into the Atlantic, like right, right at the bottom of Manhattan. It's a, it's a pretty amazing uh, sort of like area that it covers, and it's just beautiful. Like if you go up to the, if you go up, you know, if you drive up Manhattan on the west side, and you get up to where you're looking across in New Jersey, along the Hudson, it's nothing but trees. It really can take you yeah. back. It can sort of transport you back to a time in that region's history that is com that you completely miss when you're just a few miles south and you're amidst all the skyscrapers and the hustle and bustle of the city. You can get to the sort of pastoral landscape uh, very quickly, and which is a, which is really cool. Uh, so that's my second pick. It's a good pick. That's a good pick. I had it on my board. The Hudson River, just delightful. It's 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 a, it is a great river. You're right. There is a. There's something about uh, wandering across the the Hudson and feeling like you've you know when you're in New York and you feel so I wouldn't say trapped but you're you know you're <laughs> you, you're you're surrounded by by this urban you don't have to go that far uh, to to go down the Hudson to sort of enter a enter a much more peaceful environment yeah. so 
I, I like it. I like it. All right. With my third pick, I'm, again, I'm going to go with a little bit of a personal pick. It's not, I'm, I'm going to say this up front. It's not necessarily, in fact, it's not at all one of my favorite rivers. Uh, but it is a, it is a river that has a, a story that has always had an impact on my life. And, and so I will uh, choose the St. John's River uh, in Jacksonville. And for this very reason, my first ever sports uh, trip that I took as a sports writer of, of any kind was I went to Jacksonville for the Charlotte Observer. I was uh, I was not even a report, full-time reporter. I was uh, uh, was working on on the desk. I was I was getting stats and stuff. And uh, I got to go to Jacksonville to cover the Jacksonville Expos versus uh, Charlotte O's double uh, A playoff game. Uh, so it was a very big moment for me that I got to go to do this. And, and, uh, and I was very excited. I got to go with our columnist, uh, a guy named Tom Sorensen. And, uh, and we went to Jacksonville and the whole thing was so awesome to me. And as it turned out, uh, when I went to Jacksonville, guys on that Jacksonville team, uh, one was Randy Johnson and, and another was Larry Walker. Whoa. So I actually saw two hall of famers, uh, in that game. So I was very, very excited. And of course I had never been to Jacksonville. Uh, I would return, uh, unfortunately, but, but I, I'd never been to Jacksonville and we were in the, the press box and, and the game was going on. And Tom Sorensen, our, our columnist, um, says kind of out loud to the, to the press box. Cause the, the, this, the stadium went, was right, was right along the St. John's river. And, and Tom said, Hey, what's the name of that river uh, that, that is right here, right across, you know, from the stadium. And a guy says in, in, and I, I remember this so vividly. He says, uh, did you never go to school? That's the St. John's river. It is the longest river in the United States that flows North. (laughs) (laughs) And he said it just like that, like in a very, not, not only nasty way, but like stupefied that that somebody would not know what the St. John's River was. So he goes that exactly like that. Uh, did they not teach you in school? That's the St. John's River, the longest river in the United States that flows north. And to which Tom responded, I guess I was absent the day we discussed obscure <laughs> southern towns. And, <laughs> and I thought there was going to be a fight. I like it was so exciting to me. I was 20, 20 years old. And, and this was going on and, and I was like, oh, this is what it's like to be a sports writer. And that's like, it's never been as good, frankly, uh, in the many years since then. So, uh, so I will always have a a warm spot in my heart for the St. John's river. I like it. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I was in school the day that we discussed that either. (laughs) Uh, all right. For my, it's Jacksonville. (laughs) Come on. I mean, for my third pick, I'm going to go, um, I'm going to go Chattahoochee river. Okay, so the Chattahoochee River, which is a great name, an absolutely wonderful name for a river. It runs south from the Blue Ridge Mountains uh, through Atlanta and then along the Alabama-Georgia line toward the Gulf of Mexico there. And uh, I'm picking it, first of all, because the name rules. It's a great name. Right. But also because as I was looking up rivers uh, 11 minutes before we started this draft, (laughs) uh, you know, when you you Google something, there's like... there's a series of questions that are like sort of, I guess, frequently asked questions that people search sure. for that come FAQs. up. And 
the here here are the here are the first three for the Chattahoochee River. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, are does the Chattahoochee River have alligators? Are there snakes in the Chattahoochee River? <laughs> Is the Chattahoochee River cursed? <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like just. Just apparently, the answer to that last one, by the way, is many residents have noted a curse on the Chattahoochee River that was said to have been placed there by an ancient Native American tribe. They don't use the word Native American. They use the more offensive word. Being driven from their lands by settlers, that curse is said to be the reason for so many drownings and deaths in the river, according to another legend. I don't think the curse is the reason for drownings and deaths along the Chattahoochee River. I'm guessing you think it's, it's the drunk people. That, that I'm are, guessing that are... it's the spring breakers and the uh, and the general uh, demeanor of the people who are swimming in it. But those three questions: Does the Chattahoochee River have alligators? Are there snakes in the Chattahoochee River? Is the Chattahoochee River cursed? That's pretty amazing. Uh, the Blue Ridge Mountains, by the way, are, are stunning. My uh, a, f- a friend of mine got married in the Blue Ridge Mountains, and they're and it's uh, they're absolutely beautiful. Um, and so I'm, I've never yeah. seen the Chattahoochee River. I don't know anything about it except that that um, that some someone invented a fake curse uh, in order to explain <laughs> away all of their friends who were <laughs> kept drowning when they were when they were uh, fishing and drinking and chasing alligators. Um, but that's that's a it's a great name for a river, and uh, I feel like I need one from the southeast. Okay, I just want to I just want to uh, add to this by by pointing out the lyrics to the Alan Jackson song Chattahoochee, uh, which goes like so: Way down yonder on the Chattahoochee, it gets hotter than a hoochie coochie. We laid rubber on the Georgia asphalt. We got a little crazy, but we never got caught. Yeah, see, that's why there were so many drownings in the <laughs> Chattahoochee River. It might not be a curse. It, it might, might not, not be a Native American <laughs> curse, you racists. It, it's pretty clear why you have drowned, why so many people have drowned there. <laughs> oh, I love it. All right. With my fourth pick, we are choosing uh, Great American Rivers. And with my fourth pick, I am going to shake and, and feel very good about getting this as late as the fourth round. I'm going to take Philip Rivers. Um, <laughs> he, he is, you know, uh, I don't. I've 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 had arguments with people about whether Philip Rivers belongs in the Hall of Fame, uh, but he clearly has put up Hall of Fame numbers in his in his fine career, and uh, and also has had like 500 kids. Uh, so, uh, what more needs to be said? Philip Rivers, my fourth pick. I mean, this is a classic Seppenwall. You're pulling a Seppenwall here by. <laughs> Stretching the definition of American rivers. Uh, I should go, yeah, no, I, I, I should choose Rivers Cuomo, the lead singer of Weezer. I was, I was actually thinking you were going to go with Doc Rivers right there. I thought it was just going to come right at it. Uh, all right, fair enough. Um, I'm going to pick the Connecticut River. So this is a personal pick of mine. This is the equivalent of okay, of, yeah. uh, of Mike Piazza being drafted because he's a he's like Tommy the Sword's godson or whatever. But that's where I grew up. I grew up in Hartford uh, near the Connecticut River. Now, the the great thing about the Connecticut River is, as I understand it, Connecticut, the word Connecticut is a bastardization of a uh, of a Native American word um, from, the, I think, the Mohegan tribe, uh, which which Connecticut means, as I understood it from growing up, it means next to the Long River. So the Connecticut River is the next to the Long River River. <laughs> Which is which is wonderful. It reminds that reminds me of the La Brea Tar Pits, the famous uh, site out here in in Los Angeles, where there are these still right. active tar pits where dinosaur bones were discovered that were had been preserved in this tar that bubbles up in this part of central L.A. 
La Brea means the tar. So the La Brea Tar Pits is the the tar tar pits, <laughs> which is fantastic. So Connecticut River next to the Long River River. Uh, the Connecticut River is very pretty in places, and uh, it was there isn't a lot. We don't have a lot in Connecticut, right? There's not a lot to offer uh, people. And if 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 you told me you were going to Connecticut and asked me what you should see, I think I would say like you should see a gas station, and then you should gas up your car, and then you should keep driving. Uh, <laughs> but the Connecticut River is one of is one of the only things that. Um, that like we have, they really have to offer. It's a very beautiful river. It runs through some beautiful countryside, uh, and and we it was sort of a, a source of Connecticut pride growing up. There's it's basically the Connecticut River, Mark Twain's house where Mark Twain used to live. Harriet Beecher Stowe has a house, uh, a historical house. There was a, a there was a, a good theater company downtown that won a Tony for best regional theater company. Uh, that's about it. That's not how, it's it's Connecticut is a giant suburb, and so there isn't a lot to offer. But the Connecticut River is one of the things that we have to offer that I think uh, is worth seeing. I like it. I like it. Look, that uh, hometown pride. Yeah, I, I that's think, right. I think that's good. I think that's fair. But my I'm going to do. Here's the thing. So my fifth pick. Like if I was really picking uh, uh, rivers, I would pick the Kenai River in in Alaska uh, because I have gotten to see it. I've been I've been there, and it is it is among the most beautiful places I've ever seen in my entire life. It's hmm. absolutely gorgeous, just absolutely gorgeous. Alaska is beautiful, um, but I'm not I'm I'm not going to do that because I'm from Cleveland, so I'm going to take the Cuyahoga River. There you go. Uh, there you hometown pride. What hometown pride? And yes. True, the Cuyahoga River caught fire 13 times, but it's not 14, is it? (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, it's, look, I grew up, it was, it was in Cleveland. We used to talk about, uh, like when you were a kid, you would always joke. I mean, nothing, nothing like inspired you more. The fact that this river was catching, catching fire and that you could walk across it essentially just on the, on the garbage that was in it. Uh, but they've done an amazing job cleaning up the Cuyahoga River. It's uh, it's it's quite lovely. There are certain places around that uh, that you'll see uh, really cool. Like they'll do rowing things there, like actual like looks like you know Harvard Yale kind of rowing uh, uh, type of stuff. It's beautiful. Uh, there's there's some uh, there's some you know things that have been built up along the river. But really, let's be honest. I mean, it's it's my river. It's where I grew up, and and so and 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 Cuyahoga is a cool name, you know. And people say it differently in Cleveland. You'll hear Cuyahoga or Cuyahoga or you know things like that. But uh, but it's 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 a cool name and it's a cool river and and it's mine. So I'm I'm taking the Cuyahoga River. All right, fair enough. Uh, we haven't. There's a lot of rivers we haven't chosen that we should have. There are a lot it. of good There's ones. the Allegheny. Right there's sure. the, there's the Monongahela, there all of the yes. rivers for, that create three rivers. Stadium. All the three rivers, <laughs> yes, they're all that. they're all great. Yes, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the Missouri we haven't chosen the Red River. Um, yeah, we're we're really blowing this in a in a significant way, well, but particularly Missouri, man. Yeah, the Missouri, the, the, the longest river. river. It's it's kind of <laughs> dumb that not none of us is taking that, but oh well. Um, for but for my last pick, uh, I'm gonna take the L.A. River. Um, because I, because again, hometown pride. So here's the right. thing here. Most people don't even know that there is an LA river. No, I, I would say I didn't know. Yeah. So, uh, so the deal with the LA river is it's barely a river in most places where you can see it. Uh, it is, it, it runs through concrete, 
uh, like a concrete bed that was constructed and it, it looks like sort of runoff from right. from like a, a you know a sewage plant or something it's it's not in most places where you see the LA river it's like a trickle and it's it's maybe you know 8 feet wide running through concrete it's not attractive at all it's wow. a, so and and i understand that uh, <laughs> that it's not attractive um, but it like i believe that there is no city no great city in the world that is that doesn't have a river through it somewhere like it, right. it's i'm sure there are exceptions to this but generally speaking you need a river to have a great city like it, you know if you think about all of the great european cities obviously sure. paris or you know or, or rome or any of those cities like uh, london obviously has, has millions of rivers right uh, and Venice, obviously so we're we're clinging to the la river this this concrete <laughs> trickle uh in order to like say that we're like a legitimate city out here and um, when it rains, when there's heavy rainfall, which is really right around now, like January, February, March, it actually becomes kind of a river for a few hours and like it's actually flowing and you can see it. It runs right through the middle of a bunch of um, a bunch of studios uh, where TV shows and movies are made. So you're sometimes wow. when you're driving along uh, Radford Studio, which is where Brooklyn Nine-Nine is shot. Like there's it runs right through basically uh, alongside the edge of the Radford Studios. Uh, and huh. so the, the the story about the LA River is that it it's there have been many plans over the years that I've lived here to re, what like LA River revitalization is like a thing out here, and sure. there's all these way people have talked about you know trying to get rid of some of this ugly concrete that sort of holds it in and put a you know pedestrian paths and and build little parks and stuff like that, and there's always this fight about like is it actually a river? Um, does it count? Does it does it can some of the money, some of the government money that is um, uh, earmarked for river revitalization projects, can it even be applied to the LA River because it's it's not a river? And one of the things that makes a river actually be designated a river is if it's navigable by boat. And so there's this famous story that I don't know if it's apocryphal or, or real um, from several years ago that someone decided to prove that the LA River was navigable and got in like a one man or one woman kayak or canoe type of deal and like actually traversed the entire 50 mile length of the LA river, wow. which would may, mean like, you know, it's, it, you know, in most places it's, you know, a couple feet deep at most. And, and, and you're in the, you know, the, the, the concrete that holds it in in some places is probably barely wide enough for an actual canoe to fit. <laughs> But apparently the legend is that someone was like, watch this. And they got in way up, uh, up north, um, west of uh, Pasadena or wherever, wherever it starts up. in I don't know, it starts in like, you know, Calabasas or something. And it sort of winds east uh, through Los Angeles and then south into the Pacific. And, uh, and someone actually proved, yes, it's, it's navigable. Um, so I, I'm clinging to this idea that the LA river is a real river <laughs> and that will someday be revitalized, uh, as a way to prove that Los Angeles is a city worthy of international, uh, uh, you know, respect. I I'm looking here at the, uh, I guess in studio city where it is surrounded by, uh, concrete. Yeah. That's where, that's where the Radford, uh, lot is. Yeah. It looks like. Like you could jump across it. It doesn't even look six to eight feet apart. It looks like it's three feet apart. Yeah, Maybe it, that's it may be the way the photo. It is. may be. You, it's 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 likely that that's true. I, I'm I'm literally get, I'm eyeballing and I'm guessing. But yeah, yeah no, yeah. it's it's um, 
it's it's really uh, it does it does not look like a river. It looks like a puddle in some places. Yes. <laughs> it's it's more a puddle than a river. <laughs> it's kind of that's that's sad. But you know what? I love that they're you know that. Here's the thing. I don't I don't know what you do to a river that just has dried out. Uh, but you know they they at least gave it a place to go. It's it's still it's still there when it rains. It it it, it comes back. I. I respect the effort. It's I certainly effort. it's without question the ugliest river on the board. So <laughs> I've, 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 if that was the goal of the draft, I've won. Well, of course it was. I mean, what what other goals would we have for a draft like this? All right, excellent, excellent draft. All right, it's time for one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. It's one last meaningless thing. Sports and we draft things we know, like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael, no diet coke for Joe. The podcast woe. It's one last woe. And I actually was going to recommend we did a joint meaningless thing. Oh. Uh, for today. All right. Uh, because you uh, sent me a video, uh, I guess a, just a few days ago, mm-hmm. a sheer delight of a video of a, an elephant named Suda mm-hmm. uh, painting. In Thailand, I think, right? In Thailand. That is right. An, an elephant named Suda painting. And it is like 20 minutes long. So you actually see the elephant paint the entire the entire painting. Uh, this was, it's not a new video, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's like 12 uh, think, years old or something. Yeah. yeah. It's 12 years old. How did you run across this video? I was listening to the Dan Lebetard show and they have a, a guy named Ron McGill comes on and uh, who, who runs uh, zoo Miami down there. And they ask him, he's a regular segment on the show and they ask him questions about animals. And I think one of the questions was like, what's the, what's the smartest animal or what would you know something that an animal can do that blows you away and he mentioned he goes just google suda the painting elephant so i was like what so i googled it and found this video and it just <laughs> it's the most captivating thing i've ever seen it's an elephant it's, a, a trainer yeah. comes out and, and dips a brush in paint and then puts it in the end of the elephant's trunk and it sort of squeezes it at the end of the trunk and then it starts painting and you it, this is all we should say you should everyone should go watch it if you've never watched it before yes uh, it is it, it will blow your brain into a thousand million <laughs> trillion billion pieces now and also before we go any further if there's something about this that's fake or enhanced or um or isn't real save it I don't want to hear tell it. Me. I don't want to hear tell it. Me. Keep it to yourself. I don't care. I want to believe that we live in a world where there's an elephant in Thailand that can paint paintings the way that Suda the painting elephant paints paintings. I do not. I literally couldn't care less if it's fake. Yeah, though that's 100% right. That's 100% right. So I was equally captivated uh, by this this amazing video of Suda the elephant painting. And I again, it's been viewed like 12 million times, so maybe you've already seen it. Uh, if you have not, do do that. Don't listen to this. Do, go go watch an elephant paint. It's the greatest thing I've ever seen. And and so I was. I watched. I brought my family in. We watched it. I was so thrilled. And then I thought, I want a painting by Suda mm-hmm. the elephant. Right. I want one. I mean, like, I, who, how could you not want a, a painting by an elephant? Uh, and as it turns out, 
Suda is still painting, even though this was 12 years ago. Uh, Suda, the painting elephant, is still painting. I, you know, which give it up to Suda after all these years. <laughs> <laughs> still painting. Uh, actually has 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 added several uh, layers uh, to Suda's paint. I don't know if Suda is a, a boy or a, a girl. Uh, so I don't know if it's a he or she or both. But uh, they uh, have uh, have spent... Um, have improved as a painter. And, you know, and look, I don't know what they're doing. I don't know how they're training. And like you, I don't want to know. But uh, I found a way to reach out to the people in Thailand to see if I could get a a Suda painting. And as it turns out, you can get a Suda painting. And so I I reached out to Michael, who runs the Elephant Park, uh, and for a certain amount of money, uh, which all... I am told goes to the elephant park again. I don't want to know if it's not true. Um, Suda will do a painting for you. I don't know how many paintings a day Suda does, uh, but just today I got in the in my email video of Suda painting my painting. And look, this might be the biggest scam. I I absolutely might've fallen for. I don't, don't want to know. Don't want to know. I don't want to know. And I don't care because I watched Suda paint, uh, this, this painting. And, and I got this email from Michael saying, um, you know, Suda has been a little bit ill lately. Sorry for the delay. Uh, but Suda's doing pretty well now. And, uh, and, uh, Suda painted this for you. And I was very, very excited and, and, and told him I was very excited. It should arrive, uh, over the next period of time. And I asked how long it takes Suda to do one of these paintings. Cause in the one that we saw, it's like 20 minutes or something like that. And I said, how long does it take? And he said, yeah, uh, it takes 20 to 25 minutes. If Suda's in the mood, <laughs> which means Suda is a turbulent artist. Yeah, of course. It's <laughs> temperamental. You can't just, you can't command Picasso to paint a painting. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I am very excited about my my painting. Uh, it has been it has been the joy that has been missing for the last year. Yes. Frankly. So this is this is actually less meaningless than our meaningless things usually are. But you, <laughs> everyone, go look up Suda S U D A the painting elephant. It will it will if you're looking for something to bring you a little bit of joy as we are at yes. the hopefully what is the tail end of this miserable year long quarantine that we've all been under. This will, I, I promise you, this will provide you that joy. It will make you happy. It will make you happy. I I wanted this this painting uh, so badly because of exactly that. Yeah. I feel like this, there's this moment. I want to be able to look at the wall, see this painting by an elephant and think what an incredible world we live in. Yeah. That's what I want. Absolutely. That's what I want. Yeah. That's what we yeah. all want. I'm sorry, that was too meaningful. We should do one like meaningless thing, like really something <laughs> stupid. Well, actually, the rest of the show was really yeah. The we did we cover that in the first hour and a half. <laughs> All right, I do have a meaningless thought though, and before we go, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave this to you. Um, I am I'm one of these people that has just generally a lot of congestion. Uh, sadly, uh, I I just I've always I've always had it. Um. So I have become somewhat of, a, of an expert on how to blow your nose, wipe your nose. I know this is gross or whatever, but tissues, I'm going to just tell you, they're not effective. I, I'm just, what? I'm just going to say, I'm going to say, look, they're effective. Of course, the tissue industry, they're too thin. They're too, 
and I realize, you know, if you if you go for something a lot thicker, like a like a paper towel or something, very hard on the nose and all of that. But I believe that tissues themselves, they're they're cushiony and soft, which is nice, but they're too thin. They just pour right through. You they they last one second. Uh, I I think we I I believe we can do better with tissues. I mean, this is crazy. Tissues, <laughs> tissues are one of the greatest inventions of all time. They're the most effective. It's a tiny piece of soft paper that cl- that fixes a problem. What do you What do you want? What do you want it to do? You want it to cook you a meal? What are you looking for out of a tissue that it's not providing? I'm looking for a little more bulk, a little more heft. I, then I use feel like two they're... of them. What's what's what is this? What is this gripe? This is insane. I, you know, it's funny because this actually brings up a thing. As long as we're continuing to talk for no reason, that I was thinking about recently, which I may have talked about before. I don't know because this is a this is a pretty familiar rant of mine. But I was thinking the other day, I had a headache and I took two Advil, and the headache was gone in eight minutes. And I was oh like, gosh, "What yeah. is this miracle?" <laughs> this miracle world that we live in. If I, I, I have terrible vision, all right? I, my, my, right. my, uh, I'm incredibly nearsighted. I've worn contacts and glasses since I was in seventh grade. And my vision is like, it's like 2400 or something. It's a negative, it's a negative. For those of you with bad vision, my prescription is negative point, uh, 7.5, which is among the worst I've ever seen. I've only met a yeah, couple people worse than me. But, we live in this miracle universe where they invent these like lenses I can stick on my eyeballs that perfectly correct my vision. <laughs> if I were alive uh, 500 years ago or a thousand years ago, I would have been dead already by uh, right because right. I for, for like I would wouldn't have been able to see anything, and then I would have been either eaten by a bear in, in caveman times, or I would have just like fallen to pieces, or I would have had a kidney stone, and that would have or I would have gotten a cut on my hand and had gotten a disease and then died. <laughs> and yet we live in this world where I can correct my vision perfectly every morning. I, if I have a headache, instead of lying on a divan and putting a cold compress <laughs> on my head for 11 hours. I just take two little tiny pills that cost four cents and my headache is gone immediately. Like there are, there are so many things about the modern world that we take for granted that just, that are, that are miracles. Advil yeah. is a miracle. It is a miracle drug. Uh, and in, I was thinking about all of this in, in partially because of the vaccine and how yes. we have this disease, this disease, this virulent thing sweeps across the entire world like wildfire uh, in a in a matter of months, the entire world is locked down because there's this new thing that did not exist that has mutated and, and emerged and is now threatening to kill every single one of us. And a yep. year later, a bunch of different people at a bunch of different places <laughs> are like, don't worry, we fixed it. We have the answer now. You just put the, you take this shot and you have a sore arm for a couple of days and then th- it will prevent you from dying. And that is, that is uh, an amazing aspect of life on earth that we don't think about nearly enough not just the vaccine but things like advil and things like penicillin and things like i have oh gosh, i have yeah. high cholesterol i take a pill every day and my cholesterol's through the floor it's so low it's just <laughs> it is it is truly shocking how good we have become at warping our own environment uh for to to prevent death and disease it's it's, it's just it's, shocking it's, it's- it's incredible. Well, it's incredible. When was the last time you thought about polio? Just yeah. thought about polio. I mean, it's it's absolutely polio, amazing. measles, mumps, chickenpox, yes. shingles, <laughs> rubella. Like there are so many things that just absolutely plagued humanity for centuries 
that, that we don't even that think we don't, about. Nobody even knows they exist anymore because scientists were just like, here, I figured it out. Do this. And now these these vaccines, we were talking about this before we started recording this two and a half hours ago. But these vaccines, these mRNA vaccines are like little computer programs, basically, yeah. where they can program the cells to attack certain diseases and and do certain things and create certain proteins or 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 fight against certain proteins or whatever. And so as the as the thing mutates, they'll just go, all right, well, we just need to reprogram this little cell here and then we can fix it. It is it is just it's shocking. Like I, we don't think about science nearly enough in this country or this world. Uh, we should be thinking we should be every morning we should be waking up and falling to our knees in gratitude that science <laughs> exists and allows us to live our lives. It's true. It's true. The thing that blows me away about Advil, by the way, and I know this has been joked about and said, but it still absolutely blows me away. I have a headache. It fixes it. My knee hurts. Fixes that too. Yeah. It just yes. like it, it doesn't care. No, it's a, it it's just ridiculous. Finds pain. Now here's the here's the last <laughs> thing I'll say is now we're we're really milking this for every minute it's worth. But I I have this crazy theory that is in no way true. But I, but I deeply believe it, which is that I think that different <laughs> kinds of Advil are more or less effective. Do you agree with me? Ooh. Like there's caplets, there's tablets, there's liquid gels, yes. there's all those sorts of things. The Advil that I find to be the most effective are the, I think they're the caplets. They're the little round, the little round guys. That's right. The little round right. ones. Not, not the, not the like sausage shaped ones, the oval ones. Or the long, the sort of like, uh, uh, I don't know what. The ones that are shaped like M&Ms, you're saying. The ones that are shaped like M&Ms are the best ones, I think. Yes, yeah. that's right. But, no, that's but that, there's right. no way that's true. It's the same medicine. No, it's true. It's the same no, medicine. No, no. There's no way it's no. actually true. It's true. Caplets are, the, the, those are the best ones. So, those so the tablets. m ones. So the tablets are not as good as the caplets. <laughs> and then there's also the ones where the top is, the, is Advil brown, but the bottom is white. Those I never take. Yeah. Forget those. And the liquid gels, no, no chance. I'm not taking the liquid gel. That's it. But there's no way that these are actually different. It just must be personal preference for what you want to swallow. And yet I feel like in my anecdotal life, the little M&M guys are the most effective ones. How is that possible? They just are. They just are. You're 100% right. And I don't care what anybody says. It's like Sue to the elephant. Don't tell me that I'm wrong. It's just, that's just, I'm going to keep taking the M&Ms. I'm, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I'm going to take the M&M Advil. Yes. That's the way do it not is. Give, don't get, get all other kinds of Advil right on out of here. Cause I'm only taking the M&M ones. <laughs> all right, boy. Oh boy. Did we find a good way to waste time? By the way, we should, we should have a segment just on, uh, on new drugs. <laughs> So science. What about science? Can we do science. a science we segment? We have a science. Yes. An appreciation of science. Science segment. appreciation segment. Absolutely. Okay. That's a new segment. Someone write a theme song for that. Please write us all of our theme songs, please. All right, Mike. As always, thank you. Thanks for having me. Today's episode is sponsored by the NBA and their quest to advance the game of basketball, grow the community, and impact culture. The league celebrates its teams, players, and fans across the past, present, and future as part of the 75th anniversary season. That's game highlights pivotal moments on court and beyond. From iconic plays in arenas to the impact players have in communities, that's the NBA, that's game. It's like game five of the NBA Finals where I was lucky enough to be there. Bucks, Suns, in Milwaukee. I'm sitting kitty corner from Giannis Antetokounmpo as he rises up for that incredible alley-oop. Drew Holiday having stolen the ball from Devin Booker on the other side, found Giannis in transition. Incredible stuff. That's the NBA. That's game. This is more than just basketball. It's what connects us all and keeps us coming back for more. That's the NBA. That's game.